So I'm going to go into uh, this new series, actually, and this series is called uh, Shaped for Significance. Um, this series is very instrumental for us in the season that we're in as we've um, been going down. I think this is the fifth series we've done this year, and this is the perfect time for uh, this series as we're talking about um, not just how we get involved um, physically, but also in a spiritual sense. So most of what we do, or all of what we do today, um, will appeal to um, our spiritual uh, DNA as a church. And so since this is an introduction to the series, I'm going to be covering several subtopics in today's sermon, a lot of um, topics. So in this series, we're focusing on the five ministry gifts outlined by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4. And when we become a Christian, we automatically receive the Spirit of God. And through His Spirit, we receive spiritual gifts to edify the church. Now, although we receive God's Spirit and we all receive spiritual gifts, there is a divine order by which God allows us to exercise those gifts in ministry. For example, we all have the liberty to sing, whether you're a great singer or not. We have the liberty to sing each week when we're gathered, um, to sing during corporate worship. But there's an order by which you get to lead worship. Um, there's a process that the worship team has in place. Um, if you don't go through that, or that process, then your gift is limited according to the authority that has been extended by um, the leadership team. The spiritual gifts that we receive are God's supernatural ability that is manifested in and through our lives for his glory. So he's giving us these gifts to do something with those gifts. Now I'm going to take you on a slow journey. So I need you, to, you know, your patience uh, as I create a foundation for our series. So I'm going to take you on a journey. Um, just um, go through. You might have to listen to this sermon on podcast later on because there's so much content to cover today and we had to cover today because next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. We need today's information to prepare us for that. Now, although we have the series calling Shape for Significance, the specific title for today is God's Unbiased Spirit. Um, three things are going to happen today. Let me prepare you for those three things. You will be challenged theologically. Today will require critical thinking. And you will be required to have an unbiased ear. So I need you to set aside your biases, and you can pick it up later on. But as we're going through, let's listen objectively. So let's begin by looking at one of God's promises in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour up my spirit. So we're going to speak more on this passage next week, but I wanted you to see the origin of God's promise concerning um, his spirit. But notice that the Spirit of God is not limited to a social class. Um, let's look at these verses again, but this time I've underlined uh, the people that would be affected 
by God's promise of his spirit. This is Joel 2, 28, 29. We see a few things in there. We see that it's all flesh. Um, we see sons, daughters, young men, male and female servants. And the servants were the lowest class of people. And God said that even the lowest class of people are not exempt from his spirit that is being poured out. God's plan suggests that he's unbiased regarding the outpouring of his spirit. Put your trust in Jesus and you'll receive his spirit. Now let's look at our base scripture for this series. This is what we're going to be using all throughout the series. Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 14. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, in saying, he ascended. What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower, the lower regions, the earth? He, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to, measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. In Ephesians chapter 2, the unity that Christ establishes in his church brings people together from different religious, racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic backgrounds. In chapter 3, the unity of the church is the focal point of the demonstration of the wisdom of God um, to the spirit or this cosmic world. And now in Ephesians 4, the unity of the church doesn't consist of everyone being or acting the same way. The unity of the church is characterized by a diversity of gifts, which means the global church is unified with Christ because of our differences. I know we try to get everyone on the same page, but it's our differences that unites us for Christ. Christ himself orchestrated this difference by ensuring that each believer is given a unique gift to serve the body of Christ. We just read it in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the purpose of this diversity of gifts is that we grow in maturity, meaning we're not consumed by false doctrine concerning Christ. Now, in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, Paul describes what unity in the church ought to be and the reason for its existence. Let's read that here in verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. Paul reminds us that we should live according to the calling of God on our lives and that we should do so with an eagerness to maintain the unity of God's spirit. So our spiritual gifts must promote the unity of God's spirit. It's very clear. Understanding this desired unity by God, what is the foundation or starting point for our conversation regarding our spiritual gifts? Well, the starting point is that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins. That's the starting point. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, but was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and he's coming back for his church. Amen? So that's the starting point. The next thing to consider is that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the authoritative, infallible word of God, which means what we read about God is true. God communicates his love through his word, and we receive instructions on how to live a godly life. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God to teach us what is true, make us aware of sin in our lives, and correct that sinful behavior. Here's where we begin to lose many Christians. Theology. The information about God is found in the Bible, but our conversations about God gets rooted in theology. Theology is the study of God. This is how we try to interpret scriptures. But theology is also the starting point of our problems in the church. Let me explain. If all we had were the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, would that be enough for us to faithfully serve Jesus? Now, we'd say yes. But if the answer is yes, theology would say we're shallow. We're not going deep enough. So we begin our quest to go deeper. But we have to remember, theology is not the word of God. But our rootedness in theology often forces out what we read in the Bible. We filter our theology through podcasts, research, our favorite books, teachers, YouTube videos. And after our minds are overwhelmed, if not convoluted, with different thought patterns and biases, we try to filter that information to make sense of God. Here's a personal example. And some of you already know this. I don't like gravy on my rice, but I'll pour sauce all over my rice. I love sauce. Barbecue sauce, teriyaki sauce, Chick-fil-A sauce, honey mustard. I love sauce, pour it all over my rice, but I don't like gravy on my rice. I don't eat watermelon, but I love watermelon juice. 
See, statements like these can seem contradictory and also create a possible tension in your mind. As far as you're concerned, what I'm saying doesn't make much sense. How do you not eat watermelon but love the juice? But for me, I don't see anything wrong with what I just said to you. When you read the Bible, and it seems like it contradicts itself, that's based on the personal conviction of your theological filter. God will often give us something that seems like a tension, but there's no tension. It's very clear from his perspective. It's very clear to me why I love watermelon juice, but don't like eating watermelon. Don't allow your love for theology to put the story of God in the tension that you create. Now let's observe one of the tensions that we create. Gender roles in ministry. God create, created man and woman, both genders working together, but are created separately to accomplish God's purpose. Paul references five spiritual gifts in, in Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 12. We see, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And we usually remember these five things by saying apest, A-P-E-S-T. But notice that no social class is listed in these verses. But theology creates attention by asking, is there a limitation on who has the right to function in the work of ministry? Connecting God's promise in Joel 2, theologians would, would agree that old and young men have these spiritual gifts. They would also agree that both rich and poor men have these gifts. But the tension we create is whether women have these spiritual gifts. Are women commissioned by God for the work of ministry? Well, yes. Let me offer an example of a woman who fulfilled each of these gifts listed in Ephesians 4. Our first one, Apostle, Romans 16 and 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Now, some Bible translation uses the word Junias to make, some, to make the name masculine. And if you don't know a lot of the Bible translations, we have few that lean different ways. Some lean towards masculinity, some lean towards femininity. So we see this all throughout our translations. If you use a digital Bible, you'll probably see Junias um, next to Junia in, in the scripture. So Junia was the first woman apostle we see commissioned in scripture. Next, we see a prophet. Paul was on his missionary journey to Jerusalem, Acts 21, verses 7 to 9. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Then we have the evangelist, um, John 20, 16 to 18. We also, of course, just read about Philip being an evangelist. 
Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene was the first evangelist mentioned after the resurrection of Jesus. Then we find shepherds. 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca or Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. We also find this in Romans 16. Um, so Priscilla and Aquila were shepherding the people. They were pastors. And we find teachers, Romans 16, verses 1 to 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron on, of many and of myself as well. From a descriptive angle, the New Testament shows women serving as apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Now the functions of these spiritual gifts work in conjunction with the spiritual offices in the local church, regardless of your social class. Uh, there are two spiritual offices we see in the New Testament, the office of elder and the office of deacon. Romans 16 and verse 1 tells us that Phoebe was a woman deacon, deacon also known as deaconess, but a woman. So we could have easily said the diaconess board and not just the deacon board. When it comes to the office of an elder, according to God's design, it is reserved for a man in the role of overseer. You might find some churches use the word bishop, overseer. Similar to the structure of both the home and the church, a man would serve as an elder, but that eldership is held in conjunction as a family. As Christians, we're all part of the family of God, so the church is like God's family business with men and women working together. That's how God designed his church. A husband is the head of a household, as Ephesians 5 teaches, and in the same manner, an elder is reserved for a man to lead the church. Now, we opted to use a deacon board to oversee church governance decisions. However, the spiritual office of an elder still exists because of my role as lead pastor. Serving in this spiritual office of elder, I can empower people regardless of social class and mobilize them to use their spiritual gifts in the church. As our personal theology expands, it creates more tension. So let's read another text and observe the tension that theology creates. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. The same submissiveness we see about wives submit to her husbands. The same idea here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing 
if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. If verse 12 has a literal meaning, are we suggesting that verse 15 also has a literal meaning that women can only be saved through childbearing? See, I told you about the critical thinking. I've shown you where Paul acknowledged women who had spiritual gifts. I've shown you that God promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh. If God promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh, old men, young men, you know, men and women, servant, what authority would Paul have to override God? And if Paul can't override God's promise, are we suggesting that Paul is confused about his writings? Notice how theology causes us to create a tension that God never intended. We see a contradiction, but God's promise was clear. Paul did not command Priscilla when she was pastoring the church. He commended her, and Aquila was teaching in the local church. They were both teaching. Paul uses creation, the fall, and humanity as part of the anchor of this conversation, but I want you to notice the verbs that Paul uses. 1 Timothy 2, 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Are those words mutually exclusive? See, Paul is using two verbs to communicate one idea. He's saying, I do not permit a woman to teach and seize authority over a man. What Paul is talking about is the behavior or posture of a woman when she exercises the spiritual gifts in the church. Think about the relationship we have in a home with a husband being the head of a household. So, as far as I know, I'm a man, I'm a father, and I'm the head of my household. If I lose my job tomorrow, and Pastor Mimi was the only one working, would that disqualify me from being a husband, a father, or a man? The obvious answer is no. Although it would be devastating to not be able to provide for my family, my role as the head of my household is not limited to a cultural identity. Now, culture would say whoever pays the bills is the head of the household. But God says the husband is the head of the household regardless of cultural acceptance. Paul is saying, I don't permit a woman to seize a role of authority when she teaches in conjunction with the authority she's been given. Because of the biases of theology, we limit Paul's conversation to women. But be reminded that Jesus and all the writers in Scripture focused on the problem at hand, but that wasn't always the only application of the instruction. The problem in, in 1 Timothy 2 is regarding women who are seizing authority in the church. That is true. But the application of the text goes beyond that conversation to include all social class. Here's why. When a person uses a spiritual gift, 
they're using it under the authority of eldership or leadership of a local church. For example, it doesn't matter how much you believe you're called to preach, prophesy, or even lead a ministry. Unless you're given the authority to do so, your gift remains dormant in that church. The divine order of God, this divine order of God, you cannot decide when to use your spiritual gift within a church without the authority of church leadership. So you can say, well, I'll just go to another church. Sure, you can go to another church, but someone in that church still has to extend the authority for you to lead. This has been my conversation with many of you in recent weeks. And again, I'm talking about spiritual things, not operational decisions. And what I've been saying is, pick any church in the Bay Area, or even your home church. You can't walk through the door and tell church leaders what to do, because there's a leadership structure already in place by God. So you would either love the church and stay, or hate the experience and leave. So what would make a person believe they can bypass the divine order of God to do whatever they chose in any church? Paul experienced this same issue in his personal ministry, and it's an important lesson for us to learn. Galatians 1, verses 18 to 24. Then after three years, this is, he's talking about when he got saved. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So Paul got saved. He's preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved. But now he stumbled on something he has never experienced in ministry because he never sat under the leadership of the original apostles. This is what happens when you don't submit to a leader to learn with humility. All along, Paul said, I'm good. How do we know this? Galatians 1 Verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. So Paul recognized the calling of God on his life. And he said, I'm going to preach the gospel because I didn't get it from man. God gave me this gospel, so I'm going to preach the gospel. And then something happened. We stumbled upon Galatians 2, verses 1 to 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, talking about the apostles, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. So you see, he's preaching his own gospel. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Fourteen years of preaching his own gospel, 
Paul returned to the church leaders, the apostles. In his first visit, as we read earlier, he didn't meet all the apostles. He said he only saw James, the brother of Jesus. So he went back and he's preaching 14 years on his own. But you can't say, I have a spiritual gift and God called me into ministry without the authority being extended to you by church leaders. You have to be released into ministry. Verses 6 to 8 of Galatians 2. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, which is true. God gives the spirit to everyone. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the uncircumcised worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. Paul said, I recognize the apostolic ministry on my life that was given by God, and it looks the same as Peter. In other words, I have the calling of God to teach just like Pastor Garfield. It's true. But it was never about Paul being called by God. It was whether or not Paul was released into ministry by the church leaders. For 14 years, Paul was seizing authority to preach based on the spiritual gift that he had, but the authority was not given to him by the apostles. The spiritual gifts that God gives to us require a release through the leaders of the church. Look at what happens after 14 years of doing things on his own. Verses 9 to 10. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, they, they were the founding leaders, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship, meaning they ordained him, to, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The church is not denying the spiritual gifts that God has given to you because we all have spiritual gifts working together for the unity of the, of the Spirit. The question is, have you followed the divine order of God in being released to exercise your spiritual gifts in the local church? Now, when you are released to exercise those spiritual gifts, will you use that opportunity to exercise or seize an authority that was never given? For example, because you were given an opportunity to teach, do you start hosting unapproved weekly gatherings to teach other members of your church? If that authority was never extended, you are seizing authority. This is the main reason I'm constantly asking people, where are you in this season of your life? Because if you function outside of the authority that has been extended, you're showing total disregard for the divine order of God. Pastor Garfield, that sounds like a control thing. Well, let's go to the word. Paul confirmed two reasons 
why he only preached to the Gentiles. The first reason is that he was called by God. And the second reason is that that's the only authority that was extended to him by the apostles. Galatians 2 and verse 9. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go where? To the Gentiles and they to the, to the circumcised. In other words, they can only go to the Gentiles and the, um, the apostles would go to the Jews. Paul was subjected to the authority that was extended to him. According to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul did not meet the qualification to be an apostle because he never witnessed the physical resurrection of Jesus. Paul met the qualification to function in the apostolic ministry by his own admission in Galatians 2 and verse 8. The apostles had to ordain him and release him into a specific role in ministry. Preach only to the Gentiles. And that's what he did. The same is true for our lives. If you desire to serve in any local church, the leaders must release you to exercise your spiritual gift. That's the order of God. If you're only released to preach in this church, you don't have the authority to start hosting worship seminars because that's not the order of God. The Apostle Paul demonstrated that it's possible to serve faithfully within the parameters that had been extended to him in ministry. We're Christians because Christ died for our sins and Paul remained faithful preaching to the Gentiles. See, we're all a product of his faithfulness to the leaders of the church and the spiritual gift that was given by God. Although I serve as lead pastor, I am not the only one exercising my spiritual gifts. Several people have been released into ministry. I mean, we have Cusick, for example, has been released into ministry. We have Nathan, who has been released into ministry. And as they exercise their spiritual gifts within parameters that have been extended, God blesses and honor their faithfulness. The moment they seize an opportunity that has not been extended, for example, if Nathan starts hosting weekly gatherings to preach and prophesy to members of this church, our leadership team has the right to rescind his opportunity to serve. He had become a gifted person with no platform to serve in this church. So although we focus on 1 Timothy 2 and 12, on the silence of a woman, it has a more far-reaching implication to suggest that even if you're called by God and faithfully serving according to the spiritual gifts that you've been given by God, preaching like Paul for 14 years, if you have not been released to exercise your spiritual gift, you're not functioning according to the divine order of God. So, based on scriptures, we can have elders in this church. But it would be all male elders. But, but again, that's a spiritual office, separate from, I mean, separate from your spiritual gifts, which is what we're focusing on in this series, the five spiritual gifts that we see. 
So gifted men and women can be pastors and can teach and exercise all their spiritual gifts as long as they've been released through the leadership of a church. However, based on our biblical conviction, a woman would not be lead pastor of this church. That's our biblical conviction, regardless of cultural acceptance. When a woman teaches and uses her spiritual gifts in this church, there's a sense in which she's being empowered through the office of an elder. Now, I don't know your background, and maybe you're still leaning into your theology, you know, trying to grasp an understanding of Jesus. Maybe you're still struggling that women can be teachers and pastors. Scripture is clear about God's intended purpose of his first church. When it comes to our faith, we have to use the Bible to interpret our conversations and not our theology. If you use culture as your filter, culture will become the most essential part of your interpretation of the Bible. Men and women are the anchor that God designed, and we work together in marriages, churches, and his family. We keep reading the Bible and keep asking God to shape our interpretation of Scripture and not lean into our biases. You might say, well, why are you teaching about this today? Very simple. You cannot appreciate God's outpouring of his Spirit without an understanding that he placed no restrictions on any social class. God pours out his spirit on men, women, says old men, young men, servants. It doesn't matter who it is. God pours out his spirit. We're bringing clarity to a conversation that there's an alignment with how we view the office of a church and exercising the spiritual gifts in the church. It is the diversity of our spiritual gifts that shapes us for significance. Our individual spiritual gifts are united by the Spirit of God to build the body of Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. So we're going to be exploring in, in this series how God uses our APEST. You guys remember what it stands for, APEST? Apostle, prophets. So that's what we're exploring in this series. In another series, we can probably talk about the offices. But in this series, we're talking about the, these gifts. And God promised to pour it out so that we can have this, so we can minister within the church. The purpose of these five gifts is for the work of ministry. So God promised to pour the Spirit on, every, on everyone. No one has the right to override his promise but we all have a responsibility to exercise our spiritual gifts within the authority that has been extended to us. Amen? So now that you've probably set aside your biases and finished preaching, you can pick it up later on. But in a, in a world where culture often you know, lead us in different places. We have to live according to the word of God. 
And sometimes we realize, we say, oh, theology. But theology is not the word of God. Theology is just a tool we use to interpret the word of God. We sometimes complicate things. We put things in tension because we're always wanting more, which is good. It's always good to search for more. But let's not create tension in our search or in our pursuit of God. So wherever you are today, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God will allow us to continue to see what he's saying in his word. That we can open our hearts to receive all that he has in store for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, as we continue to seek you with our whole heart, that you will help us, God, we continue to trust your word. Help us to learn from um, the examples, the stories um, that we see in scriptures. Um, we see how Paul gave us some instructions of what he learned, and then he cautioned us in different things. And we see, God, how you already designed a blueprint, and you said you would pour your spirit upon us. And God, we're um, here and humbled, God, that you invite us all as a church to partake in that. We all receive your spiritual gifts. I pray, God, for the one who's here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they'll come to the knowledge and saving power of who you are. I pray that you'll move mightily in this series, move mightily in our lives. Let your will be done in and through us. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.